Welcome to the Love the Skin You're In podcast with Nisi and Bill, where we hope you too can find body acceptance and self-empowerment through nudism. Welcome to episode six of the Love the Skin You're In podcast. In this episode, we interview Amy Pence Brown. She is not a nudist or naturist, but she does not shy away from nudity as a tool for self-love and empowerment. We asked her to join us on the Love the Skin You're In podcast because we believe her message resonates for everyone who struggles with body image issues. She brings a slightly different yet not incompatible perspective to the discussion of learning to love the skin you're in. Amy is a self-proclaimed fat feminist mother in conservative rural America who believes in opening her mouth and her heart. She has been a body image activist for the past 15 years and became internationally known for her radical stand for self-love at the Capital City Public Market in Boise, Idaho in 2015, which was documented in a blog post, photographs, and a video which cumulative iterations have been viewed over 200 million times. Her message about the value of all bodies, no matter their size, has been covered by numerous media outlets. She continues to lead the body positive revolution through public speaking and education, including on the TEDx stage to students young and old, and the Boise RadFat Collective, a radical group of 3,700 people of all ages, sizes, colors, genders, and nationalities. She is the creator of a renowned plus-size pinup series called Reviving Hilda the co-curator of indie art, craft, and vintage shows, Wintry and Summery Markets, and Idaho Vintage Market, and was twice named one of the 50 Idaho Women of the Year. Sit back and enjoy the interview. Amy is an amazing person with an incredible message. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is Bill, and this is normally what you're here. This is Nisi. But with three days left in summer, uh, this house came down with a end of summer cold that I was able to get over by eating popsicles like a seven-year-old and staying in bed all day yesterday. But unfortunately, Denise got to the point where the popsicles didn't help, sleep didn't help, and it morphed into a migraine from Hades. And she's sitting in the living room right now in the total darkness. And with me, I have the wonderful Amy Pence Brown. This is a interview that we've been looking forward to for quite a while the fact that amy decided to come on was amazing to us uh, as you heard in our intro amy is a body positive activist i guess you would say not much more than an advocate because she's taken it to a a much bigger audience and a much bigger uh i don't footprint i guess you'd say but um I, Amy, welcome. So glad to have you. Welcome to to Arkansas from Idaho. Wow, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, I mentioned you're in Idaho and we're in Arkansas. Um, of course, those are bastions of uh, conservatism, I guess you'd say. Um, so did where'd you grow up, Amy? Did you grow up in Idaho? I did. I did. Born and raised here. So it being the bastion of uh, liberalism that it is... Um, I'm sure you had an interesting upbringing. Um, growing up, you know, we, we talk a lot on our podcast about body positivity and body image, and everybody over the course of their life comes to a journey from a different direction. When you were growing up, did you have a, a positive body image? Um, 
No, especially, I, I mean, I think as a child, I'm sure I did. I think most people as children, before our culture gets to them, um, or, you know, people in their immediate circle do too much damage, most children I know have a pretty positive image about their bodies. And um, it starts to change quite a bit, especially for girls um, when they become teenagers, which is what happened to me. Oh, sure. Um, when I became more aware of, you know, what society thought I should do with my body and put on it and put in it um, and what it should look like. So uh, especially, I think, as a chubby kid turned uh, curvy teenager um, in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, it wasn't super popular. It wasn't a very body positive time in general, especially not for plus sized people. So especially not plus sized girls. So I became aware of that um, pretty quickly, especially not only by like media and our culture telling me that, but um, people in my life, you know, in particular, teenage boys um, and girls making a lot of comments about um, my body. and But it was that time, too, when I started to internalize a lot of that and tried to, um, in a lot of ways, to make my body smaller, um, using diet pills, for example, and developed a pretty serious exercise addiction. But I was still the fat cheerleader. I was still um, the fat girl that either nobody wanted to date because of the size of my body or boys did want to date um, because they fetishized that same body in sure. private. Yeah, I know growing up, we're, we're a few years apart, not too many, but, you know, I grew up the, the, the fat kid too. So, I mean, I can relate to that. Even, you know, you're coming at it strictly from a woman's perspective, but I can tell you boys don't have it nearly as bad. I guarantee it because I'm a father and a husband and I have a daughter who went through it. So, I, and I can't even imagine... Well, I have a pretty good idea, but not a total understanding. Uh, so I, I definitely know the pressure that you're talking about coming up. I think if you if you'd listen to our podcast when we told our stories, you know, I went from you know I was a jock and all that went in the army, super buff to super not. So I mean, it, it's a struggle a lot of people you know deal with, and the fact that you know you have turned that into something so amazing. That's the reason why we're here. So as a young lady, of course, you struggled like a lot of girls your age did. And as you came into adulthood, how, how did your body image develop at that point? Uh, well, it was about that time. I mean, I started to rebel against uh, beauty standards and these um, social norms pretty young, at a pretty young age. I mean, I think um, I didn't know anyone in real life, in my real life in rural Idaho, Um uh, who felt that way. There weren't a lot of role models. There certainly wasn't the internet um, <clears throat> or, you know, places where you could find other people like you uh, or other people to emulate or to look up to. Um, and I, you know, cut off all of my hair. It was really long. Um, it had been long most of my life. Um, that was a pretty rebellious thing that a lot of of women and girls do during big change, a big life change about the age of 16. I didn't ask anyone's permission. I saved up my own money, went to my own hairdresser and cut off all of my hair from like, you know, down probably, it was probably like the middle of my back 
to like a pixie cut, um, which was unheard of, um, which shocked my parents and everyone in my town. And um, at the time, I didn't really know that that was a feminist sort of stance. And in fact, I didn't even know what feminine feminism was. I hadn't even heard of that word um, until I went to college. And so it was really as an undergrad where I realized that I wasn't quote unquote crazy um, for having these ideas. There were in fact women and other people who came before me who felt the same way um, and wanted to make um, changes and, and felt different um, about their bodies than culture would have them believe. But even then, so it was it was about that time um, as an undergrad, I really started to study um, history and feminism. I have a women's studies minor. Um, but not a lot of people were talking about fat bodies, you know, in particular um, bodies of larger sizes um, and how that um, intersected with that feminism. So it took me a lot of years to come um, around to that and and, and um, find a way to make that fit into my ideas about my body. And it took me a long time, honestly. Um, you know, that started around the age of 16. And I did a lot of studying as I do as an academic. But it wasn't until I was 28 when I gave birth to my first daughter um, that these ideas really started to solidify about um you know, leaving diet culture in particular behind, um, letting go of these preconceived ideas and what the culture and the world and the medical establishment in particular would have me think, you know, thinking about my quote unquote damaged fat pregnant body, which wasn't in fact damaged at all. Um, and having a daughter, a girl and bringing her into the world really made me want to, um, change this culture for the better. Um, it started out being for her, right? But ultimately I realized how that would be healing for me as a woman and possibly all other children and people of all genders and ages. I mean, that's excellent. I guess the epiphany for you was the fact that now you're a mom, you know, your, your body has changed whether you liked it or not. And not only were you embracing your body, you were embracing, you know, the message you were giving to, to your child and moving forward. So, I mean, that that's a, a, a quick journey, but a long journey at the same time. I mean, you, you went, like you said, from the diet culture to, you know, hey, now I'm, I'm responsible for someone else's, not just me, but I get, you know, that that's very powerful. So you're, you got there through becoming a mom. And then, of course, you're doing the mom thing. So how does how does being a mom and being a positive role model to your child, how does that turn into becoming an advocate for women in general? Well, um, I, I went on to have a second daughter about four years later. So at that time, I was 32. And that really, like, sealed the deal for me as far as um, – coming to terms with my body, right? I had tried in all these ways to make it smaller, which it never did. None of the things I was doing made it smaller in any significant or long-term ways. This was literally, this was my body, it had been my body my whole life and it was constantly changing. Um, and I always say that motherhood made me an activist. It really was with that second daughter that sort of sealed the deal. Um, it started to, I, I literally typed into Google and I talk about this. I say it, said it in my TED talk and I love to tell this story. I talk about it often, but um, at that 
at the age of 32, I literally Googled the words, why am I fat and happy? Because I knew no one else who felt that way in real life um, or beyond. And I turned to Google like all good, you know, researchers do and did. And all I saw were pages and pages of ads for diet companies and diets. And I just kept scrolling and scrolling. Google picked up happy and turned it to unhappy, you know, as it, it does in search terms. Right. And eventually, though, after scrolling, I found two blogs um, by some fat activists that forever changed my life. And they led me to other blogs and tumblers and um, <clears throat> poetry and art. And I started to read and read and read and really educate myself. And I did that for about probably three years before it really started showing up, coming out of my mouth, um, on my Facebook wall, um, in my art and in my writing. And that's still to this day. So that was, you know, 15 years ago now, um, the way that I, uh, like to, um, be an activist, um, not only in my everyday life in big and small ways, but, um, I like to use art, um, in particular, my body as a canvas um, for both my art and my activism. Now, that brought you. And, into, I'm sorry. You, you didn't. You were. You really, really asking me about parenting, yeah. right? And and motherhood and how that how that plays out. Um, I went on. Um, I, as I mentioned, I had two young daughters at that point. I went on eventually to have a son. So I have three children now. Um, and they're, um, teenager or in ones in my oldest is in college. My middle child's in high school and my youngest is in elementary school. And, um, it's something that's uh, a, a very integral part of our family. Um, an integral part of how, um, I behave in this world, the kinds of art and, and movies and TV shows and music we listen to and the conversations that we have, the books that we read sure. um, in our house um, their entire lives and, and has been. And they have become um, probably by default little activists in their own right. So you have the body positive house. Yes, that, yes. And I awesome. actually write and talk and speak often about how, you know, ways that I create a body positive home and, and I talk to parents and te- teach workshops and classes sometimes um, on that very topic. One of the most amazing things I've seen of your work is something it was I, pretty much early on from what I understand um, the stand for self-love. I, I talked about it briefly in the introduction that I recorded prior to the interview and um the Stand for Self-Love is actually the first time that I remember you. Um, there, you've done some other work that, you know, I found out later was the same lady, that awesome lady that I remember from what we're, we're calling the Stand for Self-Love. Tell us about that and how you got there and what it was. Yeah, I had been an activist um, using my body um, and my work and my words um, <clears throat> and body image for several years. Um Prior to that, but in 2015, I um, had seen a similar stand by a group called the Liberators International out of Australia, and um, they're a group of activists who mostly perform 
um, acts of kindness in public spaces. And they're really well known for uh, doing a lot of that work. And they had done a similar stand with a young woman named Jay West. And they made a video of it. In Lo- and it was in London and, and Piccadilly Circus. And I, <clears throat> it went kind of viral um, at the time. And I saw it and I shared it in my Facebook group um, that I had. Um, and I have still, but at the time it was a the Facebook group was about two years old and there were maybe 30 people and we, it's called the Boise Rad Fat Collective. And it was a body positive, is um, a body positive group for people of all sizes, ages, genders um, from all over the world now. But at the time they were mostly from Idaho. And um, I shared the video and said, wouldn't this, this is amazing. I love this concept and this idea. And I wonder how it would go down though in a much more conservative place like what Idaho. Was, what was the video about, for those who don't know? And so to describe it, um, I, I ended up recre- with with the blessing of Jay West and Liberators International, recreating that stand for self-love in Boise, and it went incredibly viral. And basically, I um, stepped out into our the busiest pedestrian place in the city, the farmer's market, on a Saturday fully dressed and took off my clothes um, to a black bikini and put a chalkboard sign at my feet and um, that read, I'm standing for anyone who suffered from a self-esteem issue like me. If you believe all bodies are valuable, draw a heart on my body. I blindfolded myself with washable markers in my hands and invited people to participate in a public um, social activist art performance um, experiment. I didn't think it was going to go well. I'd had really bad um, luck with my work being accepted in Idaho. Um, Prior to that, people were not interested in um, fat acceptance or body positivity. I didn't know how it would go, actually. Um, And it blew my mind. It was quite extraordinary. Were you nervous? I was. I was terrified. Okay. Now, I've seen the video, and of course, like I said, it's one of those things that brought me to this day of sitting here talking to you. Describe what happened that day in Poissy. Um, immediately, people started participating in my project. Um, one woman came up, and they started; they were crying, and they started talking to me um, and touching me and, like, grabbing my hand. And I wasn't prepared for that. And then I started crying because it was such an emotional, overwhelming, um, terrifying experience for me. And then they not only drew hearts on my body, but they wrote words. Um, They didn't follow instructions. (laughs) And I didn't know what they were writing. Um, But finally, after nearly an hour of stories, they were telling me stories. I could hear them telling each other. Um, People participating in the project... uh, they started telling me there was no more room on my body to write. Wow. And the markers were starting to dry up. And um, it was pretty extraordinary. I had luckily invited a photographer to be there that day. And she, from a distance, um, nobody knew they were being photographed or videoed. Um, she took little seconds of video and took a whole bunch of photos. And I didn't... In, I didn't know how those photos would translate because the magic was palpable. And everyone who was there that day, to this day, eight years later, will tell you um, about how powerful that was. Um, it did translate to film really well. Um, we figured out how to do iMovie. I'd never made one before. Neither had my photographer. 
um, we I wrote a blog post that was pretty powerful and dropped it all out into my little world. And it um, went really, really grassroots viral really quickly um, locally. Um, within 24 hours, I was on the local news. Within 48 hours, the U.S. news had picked it up. Um, within 72 hours, it was internationally spread. Um, it has been seen, the video has been seen over 200 million times to date um, and is still shared widely and used in, oh my gosh, all sorts of college classes and, and workshops and um therapy groups and all sorts of things, um, high school classes on civil discourse and um, activism. And it's had an extraordinary life. Well, I think super ha having seen the video then and watched it many times since, I think one of the things that you mentioned that maybe didn't convey, and I want to reiterate, you did this while completely blindfolded. You know, you, you had a trust factor there that it made you were vulnerable anyway, being there, you know, in your bikini. But by being blindfolded, you put so much trust in the people that were there that day that that that's a level of vulnerability that's very hard to match. And the fact that you did that and you had the response you did, it, it's a very touching video. I've shared it. My, I, I showed my wife. I showed my daughter. I'm like, you, you need to watch this. This, this, this was. I had tears in my eyes, and I'm a dude, right? I'm watching this, going, oh my god. As as a husband and a father to a young lady, it was it was very moving, even for me to see it. And um, so I remembered that. And it's funny. I had mentioned to you before we started recording that I've long been a fan of the Hilda Pinup series. And then your webpage was brought to my attention by a friend saying, hey, if you love the Hilda pinup series, you got to check this lady out. She's done this revival, reviving Hilda, and um, which was amazing to me then because then I got back on your webpage and I was looking around. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It, wow. This is the same lady. So that was a very emotional stance for body positivity. Let's talk about a very fun one. What is reviving Hilda? Yeah, a lot of people um, are surprised when they make that connection that I am that same person. Um, or some people have followed me the whole time. Um, and so shortly after that stand for self-love, I mentioned it went internationally viral. And I was handed a microphone by news media, major news media all over the world. Um, and it really launched my work. I had a pretty good sort of local regional following and, and my sort of radical fat activism, but that really upped it um, around the world. And I have lots and lots of fans and followers. And um, shortly after that, that was in 2015, the stand for self-love eight years ago, um, I started getting all sorts of messages from, from people about my work in particular, how the stand for self-love had changed their life. Um, and also a lot of people saying, you know, following me and, and the kind of work that I do and sending me this pinup girl from the 1950s photos um, of her illustration saying, you remind me so much of this 1950s pinup. Have you seen this girl, you know, this illustration named Hilda? You look just like her. You, you look a lot like her. Um, and, and they were, in fact, right. And they were coming at me often and frequently over probably a year or two. Um, Hilda um, was 
the brainchild of an artist named Dwayne Breyers, um, originally from Minnesota in the 1950s, and she's sort of an amalgam, redheaded, plump, pinup um, girl, um, illustrated from his his memory, uh, um, kind of a mashup of of all sorts of women, um, and particularly large bodied one and bodied ones. And Hilda has red hair. Um, that's short and she's often nude or barely clothed in bikinis that she makes out of flowers. Um, and flower sacks. Silly things. Yeah. yeah, flower sacks. And she also has a beloved red union suit with the sort of butt flap. Sure, sure. It doesn't quite fit her voluptuous body very well. It's bust. It's always open um, in all sorts of places. Um She's. It was silly, but not naughty, especially yeah, for the she's time. Silly, and clumsy, and um, doing housework and making art and picking cherries with animals and reading storybooks to her cat and um, sweeping and swimming and you know doing all sorts of things. Not very well, but having a joyful time doing it by herself or with these various animals in her life. Um, so she was very popular on um, all sorts of ephemera, like pinup calendars in particular, um, some other things like playing cards and drinking glasses, some things like that. Um, and she was popular from about the 1950s through early 1980s, and then she sort of disappeared um, from popularity. And People started finding her calendars in flea markets and antique sales fairly recently, like early 2000s, 2010s, um, which is why she was getting all of this attention and people were making this connection between my body and Hilda's and the kinds of work and play that we do. They were very similar. So they were sending me these Hilda pictures and saying, you remind me of her. And I was like, you're right. I do look a lot like her. That's amazing. I do a lot of things similar to Hilda. And I got this brilliant idea um, as an activist piece, but um, more of an art project that was fun to sort of take sel- to do self-portraits, selfies um, of Hilda Um of myself remaking Hilda in a real life subversive, silly and sexy sort of selfies series. Right. And, um, share them on the internet where the original Hilda illustration by Dwayne Breyers is sort of on, on, on one side. And then my recreation, um, in real life is on the other side. And I even was shocked by the project. Um, when I see my still today, when I see myself and Hilda side by side, how much we do look alike, how similar um, we are, but also what an amazing artist Dwayne Breyers was um, to be able to draw a woman's body like that from memory, Um, especially a large body, because he did an excellent job. Sometimes he drew her body and doing things that aren't capable, that that real bodies are (laughs) not capable of doing. But um, but more often than not, he did a great job. And I just use uh, items I have around my house. Um, I am a mid-century collector and fan. And so I have a lot of mid-century things already, which was par- part of the reason people were making such a connection between Hilda and myself. Um, 
in the first place. Um, I also like to change it up and make a little bit of a feminist um, updated stance on some things of Hilda's that were a little outdated, I thought, you know, sure, a little sure. different times. Still. Yeah, a little, yeah, a little different. Also a little not body positive. You know, sometimes she's using diet. She's dieting often. And yeah. so I like to change that up. Um, it's super fun. I, that, um, I started that project in 2017 and I have recreated 65 Hilda's to date. How many are um, there? Mostly I do it myself with my time, with my, um, I used to not even have a remote and a tripod at the beginning of my Hilda series, I would like prop my phone up and set the 10 second timer and have to run and try to get in place. (laughs) Um, which is nearly impossible when you're trying to cover up um, to make it internet friendly nipples, nipples <laughs> and pubic hair <laughs> and that as a real human body in barely there flower bikinis that aren't allowed on the internet. Um, and I don't want to use it's been a part a big part of the project for me and a big part of my work in general is I don't Photoshop things. I don't. Um, airbrush things out um you know i like unless you know unless i have to i I like to i like them to be unedited as much as possible so you said you did you did 65 of them so far yes how many are there no one knows no one you just keep finding new Um, ones there have been some really great collectors and um uh, researchers of Hilda and they were have have become friends and fans of my work and I have utilized their archives and they've put into, put together as many images as they can and it's several hundred wow at this point um, at least 200 and I myself um, have been collecting Hilda calendars in particular. And I've been sent all sorts of Hilda ephemera and gifts from fans all over the world. And I still see new images of her all the time. Well, that's amazing. I've seen all the ones you've posted on your website. Of course I've seen, and I've shared some of them. And like I was telling you earlier, uh, prior to our, we have a a good friend of mine that she's also a radical feminist and she's become a big fan of yours. So hello, Shannon, you know, here she is. Um, so hopefully she's going to listen to the podcast and, you know, hear your story. Cause it's very, very powerful and very, it's fun, but there's also a serious side to this. There's, there's more to you than Hilda and, and, and the stand for self love. Talk to us a little bit about the rad fat, Collect- rad fat collective. You mentioned it a couple times. What is this? Yeah, I, um, in, I mentioned that I started my body positive journey. Um, I mean, I'm, I've actually been working towards it my entire life, but um, really identified as a fat activist um, and the, with the fat acceptance movement um, about the time I was 32, about 15 um, years ago. And um, I had a lot of pushback when when these things started showing up in my art when these ideas started coming out of my mouth um or in facebook posts a lot of pushback um from people 
who were otherwise open-minded and liberal um, and claimed to be feminists even, they just could not wrap their head around the idea that all bodies were good bodies and that there was no wrong way to have a body, in particular a fat body. And they would not have it. So I had a lot of, um, I lost a lot of friends. I lost some family members' relationships over it. Um, it's been, it was a, a pretty rough time. I mean, it continues to be that way. Uh, but it was really rough then. I had a miscarriage, my first miscarriage about that same time. And um, a lot of these things were happening and it really shook my body positivity to its core. Um, it, the internet was fairly new as far as like Facebook um, at the time this was happening. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of community on there. It was a space where a lot of this negativity um, was happening. And I shut down all of my social media accounts for the summer to heal my body from that miscarriage, to heal my heart and my spirit. Um, and didn't know if I would come back, but I did. After taking a few months off, um, I came back louder and stronger in 2013. And I started a Facebook group. Groups were brand new at the time like no one had they they were a brand new feature on facebook sure and i started it called the boise rad short for radical fat collective because i had at that point finally met a couple of other fat feminists who were like felt kind of like i did and we wanted a safe space um to be able to share news articles and and links and talk about like health at every size and talk about our own personal struggles and things like that um, in like a kind of underground space because it was a it still is a private group right and um, I would vet people really heavily before letting them join um, after that stand you know and and it was so we kept it very small and very intimate after the stand for self-love that we talked about um, at the end of that video that my photographer and I put together on iMovie I, I mentioned we put a link to the Boise Rad Fat Collective and it blew up I had people asking for ads to that group from all over the world. It grew very quickly. Um, I capped it several times to keep it small and intimate. I'm still the only admin. We still have the same sort of rules about it being a positive, safe space. Um, no body shaming posts um, of people at, at, about people of any size. Um, and there are 3,500 members to date. And about that time, actually... Uh, slightly before the stand for self-love, when there were maybe about 30 of us in there, I started um, creating get-togethers for us in real life. So the internet was a great place and still is a great place um, to build community, especially for people who live far apart from each other. But I really craved um, in-person events and in-person um, community because there's nothing like that. Um to me, there's nothing that can really take the place of, of that. Uh, so we, our first meetup, we always, us OG members, talk about it. Um, being at the Cheesecake Factory, there were probably seven of us, and we got together and had cheesecake and just talked um, and hung out. Um, and shortly after the group blew up with the Boise Red Fat Collective, I started having more regular, like, monthly events. We, um, for years, have done chunky dunks, which are what we call swimming together, um, typically at the local hot springs. We have a lot of hot, um, natural hot springs, hot water in Idaho. Um, we're lucky that way. We do a lot of those. We've done um, a lot. Uh, we have a Radical Reads book club we've had where we read body positive books as more and more of those are being written. 
and published. We've got, I've held film premieres and we've gone to movies and um, we march in um, civil rights marches. We have um, a yearly plus size clothing swap um, in um, as part of the group as well. And we do lots of fun um, photo shoots, something that came up that people were um, really interested in. And that's an important part of my activism, which is probably how it came about, um, is um, taking nude photos, um, which uh, I'm getting probably a little ahead of myself. That's okay. Here. No, that's fine. I'm looking at my notes. We're, we're, we're tracking. We're okay. Um, there was a, uh, one of my biggest tips, um, for adding more body positivity to your life, um, that's fairly easy and, and that has worked for me, um, and was super helpful was not only like taking selfies and this can be clothed or not, but, um, in particular, I have, um, found a lot of power in taking nude photos, um, uh, and or photos like up close of particular body parts that you're struggling with, right? In sure. all sorts of different positions. And Hilda is another, you know, she's a great exercise in that, or she was for me. Um, she's a great example of that in, in her illustrations as well. But, you know, um, your body crouching or standing or laying down or bending over or sitting on the floor or running, you know, it looks different, but it's all your body. Right. Sure. Um, so that has been was super helpful. And early on in the Rad Fat Collective, a lot of, People were really um, interested in boudoir photography. A lot of people find that um, particularly empowering, which is not often nude. I will say most women. Most boudoir uh, isn't. It's it's what do they call it? Not not nude, but I mean it. It gives a hint. I mean, our our of course we're nudists. Everybody knows who listen to our podcast knows we're nudists. And just recently, um, uh, for Women's Day. They did miniature boudoir shots at the nudist resort, and 90% of the photos taken were not nude. I mean, it was more about feeling beautiful, right, and feeling comfortable in your own skin. So boudoir photography does really empower women, in my experience. Of course, I'm the, I'm the dad and the husband outside looking in, but my wife's pictures are beautiful. You had women from 18 to 80 that were taking boudoir photos and sharing them with each other. Um you know, you mentioned you you do you have done nude modeling, and you mentioned the boudoir stuff. So, I mean, of course, we're talking from a body positivity through nudity podcast. So here we are. So, I, one of the things I noticed on your website, I watched one of your TEDx talks, and I'm going to quote you a little bit. Something you said that speaks volumes to exactly what we're talking about. You were quoted. I'm quoting you now. By stripping off my clothes, I was stripping away negative body image and saying I'm at peace with my body. And I have been for many years. That is a very you know, profound statement. It speaks volumes to what, what we're trying to do with our podcast, but it also kind of ties in what you've done and how you wound up as a, not a nudist on a nude podcast. Um, you mentioned the the, the boudoir uh, photos for the body positive for the for the the Rad Fat Collective. Did you find the women? Was it hard to convince them to do it, or were they like, "Hey, I really want to do this"? I mean, you mentioned that you've used it as a canvas, and and and, and it's empowering for you, and you've shared that. Were they like, "Oh, no way! There's no way I could do that," or was it something that like, "Hey, yeah, let's give this a shot"? 
Well, I actually didn't have any interest in boudoir photography, posing for boudoir images. It's not my, I, I, I just personally not your thing. Not, you know, need it. Um, or have a desire for it. I don't particularly love lingerie that much. Sure. So, um, and and historically, it's changed a lot. Boudoir photography has changed a lot over the past 15 years, I will say, um, in particular. But, um, you know, w- with the exception of Hilda, and Hilda's her own sort of unique, quirky character. She's not really wearing lingerie. Yeah. You know, as I mentioned, she's wearing nothing. She's making sexy bikinis out of flowers or flower sacks or literally usually naked um and or red pajamas right so it's not traditional lingerie in in the in the way that we associate boudoir photography with more traditional lingerie it was the rad fatties which is my um endearing term that i call members of the boise rad fat collective who actually asked for it so they um a lot of them wanted to pursue boudoir as a means of celebrating their body and their sexuality but had always been afraid to do it one it was too expensive two they didn't think they had the body type for it right it wasn't they weren't the right shape or size for boudoir photography so one of they you know kept asking we should if we did it together like what if you did it with me you know they would write these posts like what if we had I would feel better if there were two or three of us and we could be like hype girls for each other. And is anyone interested in doing like group boudoir photography as far and and by that I mean um, getting together like you mentioned, right? Yeah. Getting together a group of people to help get each other ready and and hype them up and pose them. Um, and then they're in photographs. So we had a, we have photographers in the group who donated their time and services for a small fee and. Um, Gosh, our first one, I think it was bikinis. I can't even remember because we've done so many group mini boudoir. That, and I just as the organizer um, of the group and, and all of the events would organize it. And of course, I'd by default get some photos, but I was never there. Um, I am the probably the most comfortable in front of the camera. I'm also the most comfortable naked. In fact, I prefer my boudoir photos nude. To, to be nude, sure, sure. Um, to be honest, I don't like to wear things <laughs> <laughs> often. So um, the less is better for me. Sure. I, I also um, am more of a natural person when it comes to that so often a lot of times there's in boudoir photography which there's nothing wrong with it um a lot of people wear a lot of makeup and you know do a lot of um dressing and and, um lingerie and i did make it very clear from the beginning the only way that i would host these events um and help organize them was if they were now, they could wear whatever they wanted. They could do whatever makeup they wanted, but they could, I would not hire a photographer who would do Photoshop. Um, and that was a very common thing. I still think it's a very common thing um, with boudoir photographers in, um, in, in general, general sure. um, today um, that they will airbrush and Photoshop out any quote unquote imperfections. And that's not what you were going things. for at all. 
No, and that's inherently a very important part of my work and my mission. So I refuse to be party to that. Again, people can do what they want. And other, you know, they could hire anyone um, to do that. And I, I don't. It almost takes away from what you are trying to do. By doing that, you're almost saying you're good enough, but you're not. So the, right. the what you are going for is accepting who you are, the skin you're in. That's the whole, you know, love the skin you're in. That's what we're about. So I totally respect what you're saying, and I agree with you because, you know, in our environment, in the nudist environment, of course, you know, it, you see every shape, size, color, gender. I mean, there the imagination doesn't exist. And the thing about it is the person does. The, the, one of the things we find is, you know, with us being nudists, we, we get to know the person all the other stuff kind of falls away and we've made some amazing friends along the way. You know, um, it, it kind of brings me back to what we were talking about a minute ago. You've done a lot of media and stuff. And I found an article that you did about a year ago for H and M H and E naturism magazine in the UK. Um, it actually, for those of you who don't know, it's a UK based magazine. It's been around since 1902. It's been around for over 120 years. It's the oldest nudist or naturist magazine. And you, you actually did a body positivity article. You were quoted. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. And it kind of goes back to what we're saying as far as the bodies are different and everything. You said seeing bodies that are remarkably different than yours, living a lifestyle different than yours, is also important. It opens your mind and your heart to diversity in extraordinary ways. I, meaning you, this is quoting you, I use my body as a canvas for my art and activism, and it's often nude. So, yes, I'm very comfortable with it. Nude bodies aren't always sexual bodies, but in America, our conservative Christian culture equates nudity with sexuality and reality negative and damaging ways, especially regarding women. And that's a big theme with what Denise and I have been trying to do with this podcast is, you you know, nudists are sexual people we do enjoy sex but we're able to to separate the body from the act right so you know you went on to say in that you know you know all, you know, nudity is you know part of sexuality but it's not necessarily the defining thing of sexuality i'm paraphrasing of course but you also went on to say i think body image and self-acceptance are universal struggles for all people men and women and that is very very true so it brings me back to us, Denise and I, and of course a lot of our friends. Of course, we're nudists, and we and what we use, what we have tried to do is share our stories of body acceptance through nude recreation, non-sexual nude recreation, um, and we talk about anner and stuff and things. But um, have you ever been to a nudist resort yourself? I have not. You know, there's th one thirty minutes from where you're sitting right now, right? I do. Yeah, I you, do. If would you go if you were invited? Um, maybe. I may may have yeah, to make a I phone have, call. I have because, friends that have been. Yeah. In fact, um, a dear friend who um did has visited several times and did a great story on it um for our Idaho NPR um station. Sure. At Bear Mountain. Yeah, Bear mm -hmm. Mountain Resort. Yeah, Bear Mountain Retreat. That I was gonna say so folks at Bear Mountain Retreat, in the show notes there's a link to Amy's email and I bet you've sent an invite, you get to meet Hilda in person and it'd be a wonderful thing for the folks there that day. No, Amy we when we were uh what what conversing i guess but when we were corresponding back and forth getting ready to do the interview uh, i asked you you know about you know 
what you what was your understanding of what nudism is with regard to what we're talking about and um i'll preface it by saying of course the american association for nude recreation defines you know nudism as non-sexual nude recreation in a place where safety and security are the utmost and body positive body positivity is basically the, the rule of the day um if a woman is struggling with her body image, do you think nudism could help her get to a place where she wouldn't struggle as much? Um, Based upon your experience, I mean, I guess that's a pretty individualized um, situation, right? Like, I can't uh, really say that it would work for everyone because not all of like my tips. I have like ten super easy, great tips. Um, to add more body positivity to your life that's easy. Um, and not all of them work for everyone. Sure. Maybe one or two do. Um, maybe others don't. I do know um, that I have rad fatties who are nudists um, and who have found extreme um, safety and comfort and pleasure in their own bodies and other people's bodies and have learned so much and grown so much um, from nudism. So I definitely think it is a possibility. Well, and great. I do think it works um, really for well. For some folks. For exactly. And then the thing is, is ultimately, yeah, we're coming at this from a nudist perspective, but we brought you on because you not being a nudist and understanding it and you having the same mission from a different perspective, I, I think even if we can't reach someone to the point where someone may, hey, I may give nudism a try, I think what you bring to the table is more important than, you know, finding our way to it. There are many ways to get to body positivity. And by sharing your work and your activism, we're trying to reach it, you know, everybody. You know, yes, we, we think we know the answer, you know, but like you said, it's not the answer for everybody. But you know what? You, you may have the answer for someone we don't have the answer for. And that's why we're so glad that you decided to come and do the podcast with us. Um, we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up, but I do want to touch a couple things, you know, for you. Um, if people want to learn more about you, your rad camps, which we touched basically briefly on, you know, maybe let's double back that for real quick before we go. Um, you, with the Boise Rad Fat Collective, you also host rad camps, Tell us about what the rad right. camps are. <clears throat> I do. I started that um, in 2017 as well. I think the same year that I started taking Hilda portraits, actually. Um, I had had a lot of requests um, to teach what I know, right? Like, how did I get here? And how do I know all of this stuff and to share that knowledge? Um, and we had found that group activities were super powerful, like the boudoir um, photo shoots. They were really, people were getting more comfortable in their skin. They were being more comfortable in their bodies in front of cameras. And that that camaraderie would be great if it lasted like all weekend long rather than just an afternoon. Um, and so I got the idea of a body positive um, boot camp basically for women called Rad Camp. And we go to the mountains. I rent a cabin um, in the mountains of Idaho. And we had rad fatties fly in from all over the U.S. and Canada. I keep the group really small. There's about 10 to 12 of us. And we do art. Um, we are naked a lot actually <laughs> um, taking photos or making art with our bodies or skinny dipping um swimming hiking any shenanigans that ensue um there's yo we do yoga um 
we go to the lake, we make food together, we play games, we do all sorts of stuff, and it has changed people's lives in extraordinary ways. Um, I also have a teen version of that called Rad Camp uh, Body um, Positive Boot Camp for Teens, and um, it's a like a Saturday and Sunday camp, and we do much the same thing, but on a much you know like like a younger Age level. Appropriate, yeah. I, mm-hmm. And then um, we. Uh, I also do a, a workshop for girls ages 10 to 12 called Be Rad, Be You, um, a body positive workshop. And we do a lot of art. Of course, the art and the books um, and the activities are geared, you know, towards towards these age levels. But I do try to keep those small as well. The girls and teens camps ages about um, 10 to 20. And you can find out about them um, and all of the work I do um, on my website which is amypencebrown.com. Um, I love social media and I also hate social media, but it, <laughs> it is a radical tool in the revolution in extraordinary ways. And I'm super active there on both Instagram. Um, you can find me. It's Amy Pence Brown. Um, my handle on Instagram is Idaho Amy. And also on my public figure Facebook page, which is Amy Pence Brown, writer, artist, and body image activist. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, it's everything I thought it was going to be. Um, I'm, I've, like I said, I've been a big fan of yours. And what's great about being a fan of yours is I also became a convert, maybe, to some of your your ideology. We share a lot of the same, but I see it from a different perspective. We, Honestly, we could probably be polar opposites on a lot of things, but will we find commonality of purpose you find you find we're way more alike than we are different and that's what i love about what we're doing thank you again for for joining us i'm gonna see if i can't get the folks up in idaho to give you a jingle and say hey come do one of your empowerment programs here i think it would be a huge hit at a place like uh, a nudist resort um because we've had some very similar programs at our resort we do we do teen days we do family days we do ladies retreats we have a lot of stuff with pride we do pride workshops i mean we we truly believe that everybody belongs so it that kind of permeates the attitude of everything so i think you'd be a perfect fit and you know who knows anyway maybe someday we'll meet at at, at a convention somewhere in person but i've really enjoyed this i was so sorry denise couldn't be here folks Denise was super excited about this too, but I feel so bad. She's literally laying. I just kind of glanced over and she's got a washcloth over her eyes sitting in a dark room. So maybe next time, but Amy, thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, if you could just take a minute to look at the show notes, there's links to her social media pages, her webpage. There's an email link there. Um, Amy, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Amy. Amy is an amazing woman with an even more amazing message about body positivity. We're so sorry Denise could not join us for this interview. She is on the mend. Hopefully she'll be back in the studio soon and you'll get to hear her lovely voice instead of just my monotonous tone. Moving forward in the next few podcasts, we're going to be introducing a new segment we're going to call The Mail Bag. The mailbag will be a section of the podcast where we read emails, messages, and things. We're starting to get a whole lot of feedback from our audience 
by way of uh, social media, email, comments on different pages, and we're going to start sharing some of those comments and, and statements and, you know, attaboys, whatever you want to call them, and maybe some stories that are shared from our listeners as part of our podcast. We're going to call that the mailbag segment. If you'd like to reach out to us, of course, we do have an email link posted in our show notes, and that email is lovetheskinurein2023 at gmail.com. We are on Twitter slash X. That is our official social media platform for the Love the Skin You're In podcast. And our handle on X is at Nisian Bill. At Nisian Bill will bring you to the Love the Skin You're In podcast X page. Uh, moving forward, we have a few more wonderful guests scheduled but then once we come into october this is of course being recorded in september of 2023 in october of 2023 we are going to start a series of episodes dedicated to breast cancer awareness because october is breast cancer awareness month so please check back soon we're going to have a few more episodes posted in the next few weeks and this is starting to take off in a big way as i am recording this we in a little over a month have had over 1300 individual downloads of our episodes across all platforms we are of course hosted on spotify but we also can be found on iHeartRadio, google podcasts apple podcasts spotify like i said and uh, audible as well as a few other ones that have been picking up the rss feeds that spotify puts out for all the different podcast hosting sites so look for us on whatever your chosen medium is and you might just find us and until we meet again please remember to love the skin you're in thank you thank you for joining us for another episode of the love the skin you're in podcast your hosts, Nisi and Bill, hope you enjoy the show and will come back and join us as we explore body acceptance and self-empowerment through social nudity. We hope that this podcast will help show you that you too can love the skin you're in.